end up here. To seek insight, ask questions, and ask, allow God to answer them. To involve others in the process. Can you help me? Give me counsel. Show me the scripture on that. To believe, then we must intend, develop a plan. Okay? This is where I got messed up. This is where the things are off track. This is what I do now to fix it. Then you engage. You engage others in your life, and you take responsibility for your own wrongdoings, your own actions, and you, you ask them to keep you accountable for the things that you are weak and, and, and weary in and keep me sharp. And then you implement. You follow the plan. If you don't follow the plan, all you're doing is hearing. Hearing gets you nowhere. Your house still collapses. Hearing and doing, according to Matthew 7, builds your house on a solid rock. The next thing you do is the semicircle. You realize that all the work you can do means nothing. Jesus has already done the work. You're not climbing a ladder to heaven. You're on a journey walking with Jesus. You can find rest in that. And when you find rest in Christ, the pendulum swings correctly. You rest in him, and as it swings the natural rhythm of life, you find work to do, and you become fruitful in the kingdom. Oh, that's good stuff. Quit trying to climb the ladder of spiritual uh, 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 accolades and whatever else and accomplishment, and just walk with Jesus, rest in him, find yourself being fruitful. Read John 15, exactly what that means, and you'll find that your life is all that it should be because you're not trying to impress anybody. The only person that could impress God the Father was Jesus. He did the work, and he appropriated his sacrifice to your account. The work is done at that moment, and everything you get to do, you get to do by divine privilege, not because you have to, but because you get to. That is the message of the gospel, man. There's no more payment to be made. It's just walking with Christ. He paid the payment. And then you find yourself, after that, that you can walk in right relationships with God, the up, with those who are following with him, sharing together what he's given us, and then giving it out to those around us. God intends for those three dimensions of relationship to be active in your life. You have an up relationship with God. You have an in relationship with the body of Christ. And you have an out relationship to those who are lost and hurting who need to know the message of salvation. Man, that's good. And once you do that, then you can, once you've reached out to people, you begin to help them walk with Jesus. I just had somebody pull up in front of my house this week. Dude, I got to use the square this week at work. I said, you did? Yeah, man, it was awesome. We were doing this thing about how, how we're supposed to lead in our departments, and we used some John Maxwell material, and it just fit right in there. So I grabbed the pencil, and I drew the square and told them, I do, you watch, I do, you help, you do, I help, you do, I watch. And I went, that's discipleship, but I know, he said. And I went, you're getting it. See, all of these things, the reason we're doing these and creating these crazy signs up on the thing is so they get stuck in your brain. And at an instant, a moment where God can use you, you can be used. Are you hearing me? That's it. All of us hurt. All of us have need. All of us have it together. And we can start the process right now. And I'm not writing the rest of those words on the screen. On the whiteboard. You can't read them anyway because I, I write like a doctor. As me as a kid, I always wanted to play. Game. I always played role games. You ever just do that? Me and my me and my friends, my cousins, my grandma had a set of woods, which my, my parents actually own now. We used to traipse through those woods, and we would play civil war, and we pretend the rebels were coming. 
And one of us was a general, and one of us was an infantry dude, one of us shot the cannon. We, do that. we used to play Star Wars, and one of us was Luke Skywalker, and one of us was Han Solo, and one of us was Chewbacca. And we'd run around them woods, man, everybody playing their role. We'd play A-team. Huh? One of us got to be Hannibal. He loved it when the plan came together. One of us got to be Murdoch, making the transport of people into where we needed to get to. One of us was FaZe, acquiring resources. One of us got to be BA and got to could put whatever resource we had together to do something fanatical like build a catapult. There's a BA sitting out here. We need to build a, bat- a, 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 a catapult, all right? I don't care if you wear big gold chains and a mohawk or not. We still need you. That was Mr. T. He played BA, okay? Just, just. And if you, even if you have a mohawk and gold chains, we'll still use you if you can build a catapult. Um, we had to find our role in the body of Christ. The A-team wouldn't be the A-team if Hannibal tried to do Murdoch's job. They would probably would have crashed. The A-team wouldn't have been the A-team if Face would have tried to put the plan together. And if B.A. was in charge of being the PR guy, everything would have collapsed. He could not have done Face's job. Are you hearing me? And in the, in the kingdom, God gives us these things. Uh, these, 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 he gives us a rule, a role, R-O-L-E, and he gives us tools. The tools are given to help us fulfill our role. You get that? Tools and roles. Okay? Not forks and knives and rolls. Roles and tools. Okay? And that will help us accomplish the mission of Christ. The Pentagon helps us understand those roles. Okay? And, and some of this is going to be probably... Uh, when you think of the Pentagon, what's the first thing you guys think of? Tell me. What is it? I've flown over the thing. It's pretty stinking cool. I'm just telling you right now. Is it not awesome? We got to fly into Washington on a Dominican trip one time, and, and there's, there, there, is the, there is the Pentagon just right there. It's really amazing. Well, the Pentagon houses what? One, two, three, four, five branches of what? The military. Each of them have a part to play. Each of them do their own role. One of them sitting right there, actually. There's a Marine right right there about a uh, third of the way towards the back. Burt Blevins is just sitting, sitting right there with his wonderful family. Why don't you give him a hand? That's a good sign. Now, some of you guys have been in the military. I personally have not. So I'm going to make some, I'm gonna make some, some, some analogies toward the, 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 the military branches and the five roles that we find in Scripture that people are to play, okay? Navy are kind of like the sent ones. They go on long tours, stay in the Gulf of uh, Persian Gulf and the China Sea and Arctic and Antarctic, and they just, they just kind of hang out there for, for periods of time, sent in those regions to, to, to house purposes, right? Um, Air Force are the ones who kind of fight the battle in the heavenly realms, right? They're kind of up, up high, right? Send things down, bring things, and do business, right? Um, the Marines are probably most like an evangelist. They're like, Marines are kind of most like an evangelist. Well, they're the ones who kind of get down in the nitty-gritty, right face-to-face with people who need to be dealt with. Is that a fair assessment, Bert? Okay, see, I'm you're going to get right down there on the ground carrying out the mission. You know what I mean? Coast Guard are kind of those who guard the flock. 
I'd encourage you, if you ever watch it, if you ever want to see just a decent movie, and there's, there's a little bit of, there, there, not everything is good in it. I'll be honest about that. But the, 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 the storyline about it is awesome. You ever seen The Guardian about the Coast Guard swimmers? Dude, that is off the chart. It really, really is. And uh, I watched that, and I'm like, wow. They kinda, Coast Guard are kind of like pastors. They kind of guard the flock right here close. You know, what guarding the, the coastal ways and things like that. The Army are kind of like the teacher-trainer types. Right now in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, we've kind of pulled out most of our military operations, but the Army's kind of hung around to teach and train the Iraqis and the Afghanis and help them get their stuff up and, up and running, right? And so they're, they're, they're kind of very much like these guys over here on, this, on this, this visual aid hanging from the ceiling. God gives us all a role to fill, and he gives us tools to accomplish that role, okay? And we're going to talk a little bit about that. To, to start that, we're going to look at Ephesians. We're going to read a few verses kind of scattered throughout Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to remind you of something, and here, here's some good Bible training things. Context is everything in Scripture, okay? You've got to take the verse and keep it in context. You've got to take the, the, the verse and place it in the chapter correctly, in the book correctly. You've got to take it in the entire scope of what the scriptures are saying and, and understand what God is meaning. We were talking to some new Christians the other day, and we were talking about how the most important things in the scriptures that Jesus said is to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus turns around and says, if you don't hate father, mother, sister, brother, wife, child, Child, blah, 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 blah. You're not worried to follow me. And you've seen their eyes go, we're confused. We thought you just told us to love was the biggest thing. And now Jesus, in context, you understand what he's saying. If you just pull those verses out, all of a sudden you've got a conflict. What Jesus is saying, his love, your love for him has to so supersede your love for everything else on the planet that your love for that would look like hate. It doesn't make sense that Jesus tells us to hate people, does it? God so loved the world. So in context of the whole council of Scripture, you gotta, you got you to interpret that. Once you get the interpretation, then you can make certain applications, and probably out of each passage of Scripture, there are a multitude of applications we can derive and walk in. Okay? Are you hearing me so far? There's your Bible lesson for today. Okay? Now we're going to keep rolling. Ephesians chapter 4.1, here we go. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Okay, so he, the context here we're beginning is he's encouraging Christians to walk in their calling, their role. Okay, for you have been called by God. He's enlisted you. Paul would tell Timothy that, 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 that you shouldn't get caught up with civilian affairs, that you should live a life worthy of the one who called you into his service. Using military terms. If you drop down to verse, verse 5, you'll read these words. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Now, verse 7 is a very important piece of this equation. However, he has given each one of us, because right now, because these words are hanging on this sign right here, some of you have already thought he's not talking to me. But Paul's writing to a church in general, not just to their leaders. He's given to each one of us a special gift. The word there is charis. A grace is given to each one of us through the generosity of Christ. 
So there's a calling. He says there's a calling. And because of that, out of God's grace, he's called you is what he's saying. The generosity of God. Not because you've earned anything. Not because you've done anything. Because you're at rest in him with the semicircle. He's got a calling for you. A role to fill. A very special grace has been given to you. But each of us are equipped with certain gifts to fulfill the role. Now here we get confused. There are a listing of gifts in the scripture. You'll find them in 1 Corinthians 12. You'll find them in Romans 12. You'll find them in 1 Peter chapter 4. Okay? These are gifts. These are not the roles. These are the tools. Two different things. Okay? I'm going to give it to you in just a minute. Okay? Understand here, we're talking about context. 1 Corinthians is written to a church specifically because they got issues. To understand what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12 about those gifts, you have to understand what was going on in Corinth at the time. They had these real super crazy, wild church services. Things had gotten out of order. Not only were the services crazy, Guess what else happened? The lives of the people are crazy. They're claiming to be filled with the Holy Spirit, yet at the same time, there's very little evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in operation amongst them. You've got incest and all kinds of sexual sin happening amongst a group of people who have really amazing services and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And so Paul's writing a corrective letter and saying, listen, we're going to keep order in the church. These things are to be manifested. There's a word for these gifts called manifestations. The words there are two different words that mean the, the word is spirit, pneuma. And I'm the, the other word for gift is escaping me right now. There should be certain things. And several commentators say it's, it's as if God's saying the dancing hand of God should bounce across the congregation. That those things are manifestations, they're not possessions. At some point in time, God could call Patrick to give an utterance in tongues. Blam, and it just lands on him. The next time, the next service, maybe it bounces over here, and, and God gives Steve a, 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 a prophetic word. And maybe the next time we get together, or maybe even later in that service, God bounces over here to Sheila and says, give a word of knowledge. And blam, and over here, God gives, gives Sam the, the gift of faith, and it just bounces, and the hand of God is just bouncing across the congregation as the church worships together. That's that context of that list. Romans 12 is a whole other context. He's writing to a church in Rome, which has been like the New York City of, of, the modern, of that world. Very multi-ethnic, all kinds of people from all kinds of places. And in Rome, guess what happens? The Jews think they're the ones with all the, all the assets and all the reasons for being there, and they try to, develop, try to develop a hierarchy over the ones who are just merely Gentiles. And Paul writes Romans saying, listen, this is, this is the basis from which we live. It's called the Magna Carta of Christianity. And he, he tells me in Romans 12, check this out. Every gift is important. If you've got a gift, use it. And that's why there's some things that are listed in 1 Corinthians that are in there. And there's a whole other set of things in there that aren't listed in 1 Corinthians 12 because it's all for the function of the church as a whole, recognizing that each person adds something to the body. Each of them are given equipment to help the body out. If you lead, lead, he says. If you speak in tongues, do it, brother. He says in Romans 12. He gives all sorts of things that he says, do that. And so that's the context of those lists. First Peter 4 is a general epistle sent to Christians that aren't necessarily any particular thing, and it's, a whole, it's another listing. Okay, are you talking with me so far? Gifts are not the callings. They're not the roles. They're the tools. 
to enable us to fill our spot in the kingdom well. Romans 6, 3 reads like this. In his grace, charis, the same word used in Ephesians chapter 4, a special gift. In his grace, God has given us different gifts. That word there is charismata. Things we associate with 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, for doing certain things well. He's given us tools to do certain things well. Our role, our calling. Are you with me so far? Tracking? So God gives us two, both gifts, the tools, and callings, the roles. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 reads like this. For God's gifts, charismata, tools, and his call, your role, are irrevocable. Paul was laying there are two separate, two separate things going on. Do you get that? Are you, are you moving with me so far? Roles and tools. Roles and tools. Each of us have a role to play. Each of us have tools that help us fulfill our role. Okay, are you with me? So, remember, he goes back, context, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, he says he's giving us, talking to the church in general, however, he's given each one of us a special gift for the generosity of Christ. Now, check this out. Drop down to verse 11. If you would go back to read a Greek manuscript of this passage, you could drop off, actually, uh, like the first half of this passage, this thought there. It just says, Christ gave to the church. It doesn't say, now these are the gifts. It just says, Christ gave to the church, and then it lists, okay? Apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. I want you to pay close attention to something in the Scripture. Those words are not capitalized. We think of them as titles. Apostle so-and-so. Prophet so-and-so. Pastor so-and-so. Evangelist so-and-so. You know what I find is funny on this list? Nobody gets a capital T for being a teacher. When was the last time you saw a crusade flyer that said, teacher so-and-so? You don't say it because we've gotten to this thing that the church has to be a hierarchy. And we're looking for titles and positions. Jesus said, I gave you a role. Fulfill your role. Be willing to be a small case letter. It's still frustrating. Honestly, it still frustrates me when people try and call me. I got called reverend the other day, and that just drives me bonkers. Where was I when that happened? Who called me reverend? I was at the graduation ceremony last Saturday. I spoke at a homeschool graduation ceremony, and they introduced me as Reverend Aaron Hines. I wanted to go, ah! Oh! I had my back to the crowd. The only reason I said because I don't think only one person deserves reverence, and it ain't me. I don't deserve to be revered. I'm filthy, rotten, stinking flesh like the rest of you. I just have a role to fill. Are you hearing me? I'm kind of warming up to the pastor thing. When I call and say, hey, this is Aaron, nobody recognized me on the phone. Who? I said, it's Aaron. Uh, and you hear him go, uh. I say, it's Pastor Aaron. Oh! Sometimes I'm going, you know, the pastor at the church. Oh, okay. They never, somehow my name has got translated from Aaron to pastor. I don't know how that happened. So I didn't ask for it. Now Listen. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. Now check this out. Last week, square, what did I tell you? 
You're not responsible for what you don't know. You are responsible for what you do know. Your responsibility is to help equip the body of Christ. You have a role in the body of Christ. You can disciple other people. And you're not responsible for knowing everything. You're just responsible for conveying, transmitting what you already know. If all you know is God saved you from your sin, then you're supposed to convey that to somebody else. If you understand that God, through prayers of faith, things can be moved, then you're responsible for conveying that and giving it to other people. And so when we talk about these roles, he said each one has given us, he's given each one of us a gift, then he lists the gifts. Do you get that? In the body of Christ, we've lost that. Now here's what we think. We think these are all vocational. These are full-time ministry people. We see their names on the flyers and the tickets and the billboards and all that stuff. By the way, if you ever see a billboard with Rachel and I's face on it, would you please take a big thing of spray paint and just spray paint it? I, this, is, this, is, this is no lie. We were driving somewhere the other day. This is, this is the honest truth. We're driving somewhere the other day, and I'm driving down the road, and there's a, pick, there's a billboard for this church, and about, you know, half or two-thirds of it's, the, you know, the information about the church, and there's this, like, the bottom third on one corner is the picture of the pastor and his wife. And I said, babe, if I ever get the bright idea to do that, would you beat me in the head and knock me out and pick out a different billboard? Please. The crazy thing was she was reading a book on her iPad at that moment, and the words of the paragraph read like this. Chances are, if you feel like you have to put your picture on a billboard about your church, you are probably the star, probably not Jesus. At the same time. I'm just saying. Anyway. This will continue. Okay, he goes, the responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. If we're fulfilling our role, we're building up the church. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and completed standard of Christ. So he gives us this list. Let's dig through the list. Because automatically you guys are thinking, there, I could never be one of these guys. You've already checked me out. There were apostles. There were the 12 apostles. In fact, the scriptures say the foundation of heaven will be built. There'll be, there'll be 12 12 things that will have the names of the apostles in them. There are the apostles. Very important, okay? In Acts chapter 2, it says they continue in the apostles' doctrine. There were 12 guys called upon to be the apostles. None of us are them. I have not been entrusted for writing any more scripture that I know of. Okay? But I can walk as an apostolic gifting to the church. Big difference big difference. I am not the foundation on which the church rests. I just can play a role in it. And part of that's being an apostle, a guy who walks in apostolic. What does that mean? An apostle is someone who's sent out. That's what the word means. He's a visionary. He, he pioneers or she pioneers. They push into new territory. Okay. Some of you could be an apostle of the kingdom like this. You're in your neighborhood. You recognize there are four old ladies that live on your street that have a problem getting their grass mowed. Suddenly, you recognize there's no church folk taking care of that. You have a vision. You pioneered to do something nobody else is doing into a territory nobody else has gone into, and you put something together, and you get two or three of your friends, other neighbors, and people from your church, and you, you, you launch into new territory. They call it being entrepreneurial in the kingdom, taking advantage of other opportunities to grow things, like a business entrepreneur. Am I saying that word correctly? I sound like I speak Southern Ohio suddenly again. 
John 3, 16, Jesus is the ultimate sent one. For God to love the world that he gave, he sent his son. That the world through him might have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but the world to save the world through him. He prepared his followers to take on the new frontier, John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them. You catch that? For, I, for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And he said to them, listen, he's John 20. And he said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And they went and did. These people who were apostles, apostolic in their, in their role in the church, they're dreamers, man. They're, they're the outside-the-box thinkers. They're the ones, you know, that some of you are like, we've never done it that way before. You, no, we haven't. But there's other people to reach, so we need to think about where we can get them. And, and, and we've never done a heyday before. No, we haven't, but that's a good thing. Characterized by taking on challenges. They're ones who, who implement change. Think about Paul and Peter. Think, Jim just read the, the, the passage about Cornelius. Peter the apostle walks into a Gentile's house. That was complete and utter change for the body of Christ at that moment. What is he doing? God sent him. Remember, God dropped the napkin out of heaven and said, don't call what I call clean, unclean, man. Go get them people. Remember that? That was his, that was his he was fulfilling his role as an apostle, marching into territory nobody in the church ever marched into before. And there are places all around us the kingdom has yet to march into. And God's given you dreams and visions about doing it. And you know what God's saying? Just walk in that role. Just develop that idea. Just run with that thing. Here's a prophet. Here we go. All right, here we go. You want to think about a prophet? Jesus was that too. He's our compass. I've said it all, all for the last several weeks. Jesus is the compass. Think of Jesus at the well with the lady. Think of Jesus describing to Peter how he would deny him. Think about how Peter, uh, think about how he even cleansed the temple. He spoke directly from heaven to the people in the temple and said, my God says, this shall be a house of prayer. He's operating in the gift, the role in the kingdom as a prophet at those moments. Here's what a prophet does. He hears and listens to God or she hears and listens to God. They speak what is heard, either publicly or in prayer. Prophets, most of the time, spend a lot of time in their prayer closet. And God will drop things into their heart, and they will begin to speak and pray certain things over people. And, and things will begin to happen that is never uttered in a public setting. That's nonetheless prophetic. Sometimes God tells prophets not to say stuff. In Daniel, he says, he says seal up the stuff in the book, it's for an appointed time. Don't say everything you know. Paul says at one point he was taken to heaven, he's not supposed to write everything out. God told him not to. I don't understand why. He's supposed to pray about it, I suppose. I don't know. Understands the times. A prophet understands the times and what should be done. Over the course of my time here as a pastor, I have found that certain people operate in a prophetic gifting. And what happens? I get an email. I get a, a, a note. I get a phone call. And they say, hey, I was praying. And they have no idea what this guy's dealing with. And you know what happens? They read my mail. Anybody ever had that happen? I feel like God says this, and you should consider that, and you should pray this way, and just know that God's with you. Dude, that's stinking intense. It really, really is. And, and, and so you, uh, people are fulfilling a, a prophet's role. Um, 
every word Jesus spoke, you know this, was directly from the heart of God. Every word he spoke. He listened. He said, I don't say anything. I'll say the Father saying it. He was operating in the, in the gift of the prophet. He said, he said like, go get, her, go get your husband. And he said, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you're right. Heard it from the heart and the voice of his father, right? You have five. You've certainly spoken the truth. You know what people who are prophets like? They like a lot of alone time with God. They just need a space where they can just be alone with Jesus and they can hear him. They, 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 they also can be creative types. Psalmist, musician, creative people who are just trying to capture what God is saying and get it down. Some of you operate in the gifting of an evangelist and you'll never have a bus, never do a crusade, never have a tent meeting, never be on TV. You know who you are? You're those people who can, have a, can start a conversation about basketball and somehow end up at Jesus. You can talk about gardening and somehow end up at Jesus with lost folks. You can talk about the price of tea in China and end up talking about Jesus. Because you know you got somebody who's lost and hurting and you want nothing more for them to hear the gospel, to hear the message of the cross, to hear about the love of God. You are being an evangelist whether you ever have a title or an office that has your nameplate on the door. Jesus is the good news. And anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never thirst again. He's operating. Jesus, at the same time, he's operating as a prophet with his lady to well. He's also operating as evangelist. Here's the good news. I got water to drink of. You'll never thirst again. Evangelists know the word and make it relevant to non-Christians. Some of you sitting right here are capable of doing that. You do it, do it consistently. You find people who are lost, and somehow you make belief and faith and the Scripture suddenly very real to them. Fulfill your role as an evangelist. Don't wait for somebody to give you an opportunity. Don't wait for somebody to offer you a bus and a truck and a whatever. And You see what I'm saying? Is it clicking yet? And they enjoy. Some of you like having those debates about worldviews just only because you know you're going to talk about Jesus. Oh, yeah. Tell me about what you believe about Islam. Most of us would just shy away from that conversation. You just march right into it. You know, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to get in to find out what he believes. He's definitely going to find out what I believe, doggone it. You know what I mean? You're being an evangelist. You're, you're, trying, you're trying to get the, the gospel clear into the hearts of people who would never listen otherwise. You're passionate about sharing the gospel. Some of you are pastors. And you'll never sit in an office. And you know what I find about the, you read the, the, the New Testament? They called their leaders elders or presbyters. Sometimes they just call them bishops. They never called them by these names, but that's what we call them. Rarely do you find anybody with those words attached to their first name on that, on that sign. Rarely. When they talk about the leadership of the church, it would refer to them as elders and presbyters and bishops. That's, that was the leadership calling role. But you would find even in them that some of them operated in several different of those things. They were the elder of the church, but they, they were good teachers. They were the elder of the church, but they were good nurturers and pastor shepherd type figures. They were elders, but they were, they were, they were evangelists to the nth degree. You'd find that. Anyway, I'm just trying to rework us, get it back on this and off of what we sometimes try and make sense of. 
A pastor is somebody who cares for somebody else with a tender heart. Jesus would say these words about himself. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too. They're not in the sheepfold, Cornelius. I must bring them also. Peter, go get him. They will listen to my voice and they will be one flock with one shepherd. Think about this. Think about the woman caught in the act of adultery. She didn't need a prophet at that moment. She didn't need an apostle. She needed somebody who would just care about her because she existed. And Jesus looks at her and goes, where are your accusers? She says, there are none. He goes, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. I will walk with you. I care about you. Think about Zacchaeus. Nobody wants anything to do with Zacchaeus. And he's ostracized by society. And he, he climbs up into the tree and he goes, Zacchaeus, let's go do life together. I want to go to your house, Zacchaeus. I care about you. And Zacchaeus' life is changed at that moment. He, he becomes a new creation. It's beautiful. Jesus being the shepherd. People who are pastors are characterized by three things. They're patient, they're empathetic, and they're hospitable. People like being around them. They like having people to the house. They like having conversations. They maybe are patient to the nth degree. Some people in my life think I can be too patient. But apparently I'm just fulfilling my role. Some of you, some of you, some of you I have watched, I've watched connection group leaders never, never, would ever have, a, have the name pastor attached to their life. But I have watched them care for people God's entrusted their care. I have watched people who are connection group leaders think of new ideas how we can do ministry. And they may be a group leader, but they are very apostolic in what they do and what they see. And I've seen others, man. They can, and we'll talk about this is the, this is the fifth side, the, the teacher. I've seen them. They're, 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 they're tied to what the church is connection group leader, but their role is teacher. They open up the word, and it becomes life to other people, and they can break things down. It's beautiful, man. And see, our, we can get confused with our titles. So ti- the title isn't necessarily the role. It's just a spot we can, we, can, we can locate you and tell people how to get to you and find you. Your role is you don't have to be like another group leader. You don't have to be like another children's pastor. You don't have to be like another youth pastor. You be the role God called you to be, the role he graced you with. And you use the tools, the equipment he gave you to do what you do. And quit comparing yourself to other people. God's given you a special gift, a special grace. It means it's unique only for you, not for somebody else. And that gift and that calling is without repentance. I have seen people fail miserably in their moral life. I have seen them. But you know what? When they start getting back on track, they may not be have a title at a church, but, man, they keep loving people and pastoring them. They keep teaching people and helping them understand the word of God. They keep thinking of new ideas, and they may have really messed things up, but their role stays the same. Their title has changed. Their ability to be, be involved in certain aspects of leadership have changed, but their role has not changed. The equipment that God gave them to do that role is still there. That's the glory of the grace of God. 
A teacher, he's a person who holds forth truth and is excited about it. Jesus was often referred to by this term, a rabbi, a teacher. His disciples ask him, John 9, 2, Rabbi, who sinned? They want to know. Give us instruction, Jesus. We got questions. We want answers. Who sinned? This parent? This this man's parents or or, or him that he was born blind? Think of the parables. They were all about teaching. Teachers look for ways to explain, enlighten, and apply truth. Think of Jesus with Nicodemus, explaining the kingdom to Nicodemus. Jesus explains, instructs him on how the kingdom works. He just sits and talks. Some of you will never, listen to me, some of you will never be a DT trainer. Some of you will never be a connection group leader. Some of you will never be, a, some, some churches think the pastor teacher have the same role. And here's my thought. If God thought they were the same role, he'd have just said one thing. He purposely says five, five things make up this Pentagon thing. They're, they're distinct. They're different. Although pastors need to be relatively good teachers. Doesn't that make sense? I need to help you down the road. Listen. I forget where I was going just that fast. You may not be, you know, never be a connection group leader. Maybe never be a DT trainer. Never, maybe never work in, in children's church as a teacher. But you know what? Your grandkids come over to the house. You're sitting one-on-one, and there's something burning in you about the word of God, and you just have to sit down and explain it. That's being a teacher. Maybe at work there's somebody who's, who's got questions. You're like, hey, the Bible says, and you sit down with them, and you break it open and go, listen, i got an answer for you. The Bible, this is how it's supposed to work, and you begin to expound the word of God. That makes you a teacher. That's not a title. That's a role. And we cut ourselves short because we're looking for titles and offices and positions and places. I told the staff, I will give up my office in a minute if it will make people, it will give us a chance to do more ministry. I'll turn it into a teaching room. I'll turn it into a conference room. I do not care. The office is unimportant. The kingdom is what's important. The importance is people get saved. The important thing is that people get discipled. The important thing is people get sent back into the world to reach more people, to disciple more people. Offices and places are only things to work out of. They are not significant places of honor necessarily. No, I do will balance that. The Bible says to give honor whom honor is due. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying. But we strive for that rather than just serving. Jesus said, I came not to, not to be served, but to serve, to fulfill my spot, to do what the Father called me to do. So what's your role? Colossians 3 reads like this. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. You hear that? He's not talking to just one specific person who's the leader of the church. He's talking to the whole church. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Talking maybe a little bit about, maybe about like a prophet role. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, whatever your role is, do it as unto the Lord, as his representative. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. Ephesians 1 reads like this, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body, made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Ephesians 4.16 reads like this, he makes the whole body fit perfectly together. As each part does its own special work, the same word, grace, charis, the same special work, it helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing in full love. Is that good or what? 
Romans 12, 4 and 5, just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. Grace, a special role. Each part has a special role. We are many parts of one body, and we belong to each other. Two other things for you, and we're going to wrap this thing up. Most, all of us have a base ministry, the thing that we just most clearly do. But we can go through phases where our role in the body has to change for temporary periods of time. I have watched pastors who lead a congregation and shepherd people often, sometimes have to become, in fact, Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. There's a phase, Timothy, you need to, do, you need to be, just bounce on a roll for a little while. Some people will bounce out of, uh, out, of, out of pastoring for a little while. Think Bill Turkovich and go be a sent one to a foreign land. He pastored for a while, and now he goes and does sent work going into new territory in Sierra Leone, West Africa, or Dominican Republic, okay? There are phases sometimes. There'll be one we probably just are really locked into. That just comes, that's just what God's called us to be. But there'll be phases of time. Sometimes I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like sometimes I'm thinking way outside the box. And there are times I, I know I need to nurture and care, and that's what comes most naturally to me. And look at there, there, there are times you may feel a role on a temporary basis. I want to encourage you about something. Find your role and get busy doing what God calls you to do. If we each play our part, listen to this. If we each play our part, as this, this word says, is a part, a role, the kingdom will have no lack. Church triumph will have no lack. The people around us, lives will be changed and altered. Because we're fulfilling our spot.